This reading is taken from Mark chapter 3 verses 7 to 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Good evening. Now this evening's talk is on Mark 3, and it describes Jesus as a man under pressure, but purposeful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you were a person just like us, Thank you that you faced pressures and yet you came through them. Lord, please help us to learn from your word how you want us to live. For Christ's sake. Amen. Well, with COVID-19, so many people today are under great pressure. They're lonely. They've got job problems, family problems. These are not easy. And it's so easy to imagine that Jesus walked through life serenely. He had no problems at all. And yet this Bible passage t tells us that Jesus faced immense pressures, just as we do. So here, precious Jesus is seen as pressured Jesus. So we're going to see in this passage the pressures Jesus was under, his priorities, his prayer and his preparation and they're quite key for us so let's look at the first one the pressures that he's under if you scan back to the beginning of mark chapter 2 you'll see that jesus enters capernaum actually originally capernaum was Capernaum, the village of nahum it's a fishing town and there he preached to a massive crowd of people. He healed a paralytic after telling him that his sins had been forgiven. The Pharisees are outraged, accused him of blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. He should die. And then he, he wouldn't fast. They fasted. Clearly, Jesus was living outside the law. He worked on the Sabbath. You can't do that. 
He even healed on the Sabbath. And he healed a man with a withered hand. And to boot, that was in a synagogue. Jesus certainly exasperated these religious people. They hated him. Now, look at 3 verse 6. It's remarkable. These two groups of people who normally are totally opposed to each other, a bit like in America, the Republicans and the Democrats, but even worse, the Pharisees were ultra-religious. They wanted independence for Israel, nothing to do with the Roman occupation. And the Herodians were politicians. They weren't so interested in religious things. They wanted an easy life. Now they wanted to compromise with the Romans, live in harmony with them. And the two groups, they just couldn't stand each other until they had a common enemy. Both groups, for their own reasons, wanted Jesus out of the way. You can imagine the real pressure as Jesus is pinched in between. And quite sensibly, Jesus withdraws. And what's he do? He hadn't come to play politics. He, he'd come to teach people the gospel, the word of God, how people can be right with God, and that he is God's son, his Messiah, who can forgive all of us our sin and give us admission into God's kingdom. But there's to be no easy place for Jesus. Look at seven and eight. Large crowds followed him. The news must have spread fast and wide. People have come from all over the place. John the Baptist, his preacher beforehand, he just drew people locally from Judea, from Jerusalem. But look what it says here up from Judea and Jerusalem. Okay, that's the same, 60, 80 miles. Idumea, that's 200 miles away. Across Jordan, that's 60 miles. Tyre and Sidon, that's further, 70, 80. And thousands of people were coming wave after wave to come and see Jesus. Perhaps some came hoping to touch him so that they'd be healed. The crush increased and the physical danger was very real. Look at verse 10. But because of the problems, Jesus planned ahead. He arranged for a local fishing boat that was moored there on the beach to be uh, ready for him. And when the crowds came, he got into the boat and started teaching more safely from the, the sea. He sat down, as all rabbis did in those days. In fact, all ancient teachers used to sit when they taught. This is why the seat of learning, where the church leaders, the elders, the bishops would teach, were called cathedrals to start with. All a cathedral is, it comes from the Greek word cathedra, a seat, the seat where people taught the word of God. That's what cathedrals should be today. Well, 
Luke 5 gives us a few more details. Jesus' intention was not primarily to heal. That was done in order to identify who he was. He was the Messiah. He wanted to teach the word of God to people. So Jesus faced pressures from politicians, from the religious people, from the masses who misunderstood him and just wanted healing. This is a, a perennial problem. Churches in America and Africa are now being really disturbed by a prosperity gospel that's being taught. And that will draw the crowds because it's something in it for them. Do you remember in John 6, Jesus had just healed the 5,000. And then he'd gone across to the other side and they'd travelled round wanting to stay with him. But the throng were only there because of what they could get out of him. This is what Jesus said, John 6, 26. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Same could be said about some churches. You know, don't just come for friendship. Don't come for what you can get out of it. But come to learn, to understand God's word. Food that endures to eternal life. Oh, what pressures Jesus faced. So that's my first point, the pressures. The second point is his priorities. Note again, the, the need for the word of God to be preached. Whatever means are used to attract people to come, the aim must be the same. Teach the word in season, out of season, Paul says to Timothy. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound teaching. It's true today. Whenever God's word is faithfully taught, there is opposition. And sometimes it's from religious groups. Some of us may remember Richard Hagen. He was our first uh, student apprentice from Oak Hill who uh, joined us for a year. He uh, went to set up a church in Canterbury to win the students for Christ. Amazingly, he found a lot of opposition. And the main focus of this was from the cathedral, the centre that should be the seat for teaching God's word. What should we do when we face seemingly insurmountable problems? We have the commission from the Lord Jesus to teach others the word of God. And yet, we're already so busy. We're under great pressure ourselves, like Jesus was. You know, we've got job insecurities, loneliness, financial worries. We've got to bring in food, clothes, got to repair the house, do the gardening, 
uh, sort out the children's social and educational problems. We've got to repair their clothes, repair the house. We've got to answer emails, answer letters, trying to keep on top of all these things and then trying to please husbands and wives, friends and children. The, the pressures are immense. We don't have the time. But Jesus understands this. It says in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. He kept doing what his father wanted. But look at Jesus's response to these pressures. So we've seen first point, the pressures. Second point, his priority to teach the word of God so that people should live by it. But now comes prayer. Mark 1.35 gives us a, a bit more detail about what Jesus did when he faced various pressures. When he's alone, he used to pray. Martin Luther was once asked, uh, by a friend what his plans were for the following day. Oh, he said, it's going to be work, work, work from early morning till late. I have so much to do that I'll have to spend the first three hours in prayer. I don't find it easy to pray. My mind flits around, but I have to learn from Jesus. It really is important. Most of us think we're too busy to pray, to read our Bibles, having a quiet time with God. Yet failure to do so really does affect our lives. Tradition has it that Jesus went up a double hill called the, the Horns of Hattia, of, of Hattim. It's the highest point on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. Anyway, wherever it was, he made it a regular habit to get away, dead away from the pressures to be alone with God. And it can be difficult. If you'd lived in a rural village in Epworth uh, on any day between 1700 and 1720, and you'd peered through the window, you'd see a crowded house. It's the house of a local rector of the local Anglican church. Uh, there's lots of children in the house, had 10 children, but you'd see something strange every day. The mother of the house, Susanna, would sit in her chair and put over her head uh, her kitchen apron. Now, when the children saw this, they knew they must not disturb her. She spent two hours in having a quiet time, reading her Bible, praying. The remarkable thing is that two of those children were little boys. They were called John and Charles. They are known to us as John Wesley. Charles Wesley, the great leaders of uh, the revival of the church in this country. 
but some ask yes but if god knows everything he knows our desires before we ask him so why do we bother to pray uh, christian leader george macdonald gave a very wise reply he says what if god knows that prayer is the thing we need most what if the main object of prayer is to supply our greatest need our need of himself see communion with god is our greatest need to determine to live with him and for him and prayer is spending time being exposed to god sharing our thoughts that they're in tune with him so pressures priorities prayer my last point is preparation how did jesus prepare for the future well he appointed 12. actually the word year uh, used here is very significant he called 12. it may ring bells back in isaiah isaiah 43 it starts, God said to his people, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Called. In Samuel's farewell speech in 1 Samuel 12, he reminds the people, it's the Lord who called Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt. They were called. He chose them. In Exodus, Exodus 18, Moses listened to his father-in-law, Jethro, about the mad life he was leading and suggested he appointed some uh, leaders to help judge the people. And it says, he called capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. So here Jesus does the same. He's appointing 12 leaders of his future church. Now, let me ask you some questions. If I ask you, how many countries are there in the world? I wouldn't be surprised if you had troubles. In fact, there are 197. If I ask you, how many counties are there in the United Kingdom? Now, problems, 82, 48 in England. But if I ask you, how many tribes of Israel were there? I wouldn't be surprised if you don't get it right. How many apostles were there? Yep, 12. So Jesus creates a new 12, a new chosen people of God. So we in Christ Church, we've got to ensure that we're choosing other people to help us to lead the church of the future. We've got to train them, train them to teach the word of God, train them to think biblically. This word called is very important. It's the word used, in fact, to describe real Christians. Remember Romans 1, how that starts? Paul, called to be an apostle, and he's writing to you who are called to belong to Jesus. 
We've all been called. 1 Corinthians, again, it starts, Paul to those called to be his holy people. Wow. We are the called ones. Now, in Latin, the word to call is vocari. And we've got our word vocation from that. Our vocation is our calling. In the medieval church, a Christian vocation meant that you became a clergyman or a monk or a nun. But our vocation is not our occupation. We shouldn't say, I feel called to be a doctor, a nurse, a school teacher or a clergyman. I feel called to marry Jim or something. No, our vocation is to follow the Lord Jesus. He's called us to himself. Our occupation is a secondary calling. All of those secondary things will end. Our jobs, our marriages. But Christ's calling to follow him is irrevocable. It'll keep on. We're his people through eternity. Just look at the details as to what this calling always means. Look at 14. Beginning to be with him. That means to spend time with him, learning to think and behave as Jesus thought and lived. To go out with him. There it is. To go out for him, to be fishers of men, to talk to others about Jesus. When people are called to Christ, we are called to share the gospel. And then to have power over demons. Now, evil influences are all around us. They're everywhere. And God's people can and must stand up against them and overcome them. See, our calling is an extraordinary calling. We're called to meet extraordinary means, needs. Yet we're just ordinary people who've been called. The list of 12 here is remarkable. There are no experts there, no people with strong family connections, no national leaders, just ordinary young men, seeming nobodies. Simon, much bravado, but a bit of a coward. Yet Jesus calls him, you're going to be the rock. James and John, very self-centred people, sons of thunder. John, he became the person Jesus loved. He taught about love so much. Matthew, look at him. Nasty piece of work. He was a tax collector. So he, he was very much pro-Roman He and against the Jews. He used the Jews to get his own ends. Simon the Zealot, he was a, a nationalist, a rebel. Yet Jesus chose him. It is quite remarkable. Thomas, the skeptic. Yet he went to India 
and started the church there. These very different people, Jesus molded together to be a team, to be his holy people, to live for his glory. And he gave them his Holy Spirit to empower them to go into all the world and be disciples for him, to win people for him, to teach them. Yes, Jesus faced immense pressures, just as we do. But by all the means he could, he found and chose people, chose us, to be empowered to follow in his footsteps. Isn't that exciting? We are called. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege that, like these disciples, we also have been called to be your holy people, set apart for Jesus Christ. Please be with each one of us. Help us to set our sights on where you want us to go and determined to go that way. For Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you.